Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'd love to say great to see you, but it's great to know that you're there. And uh, I'm encouraged and uh, delighted and privileged to be here to bring God's word this morning. We are continuing in our series drawing on the Psalms uh, called Reset. And today, reset the words that we speak to ourselves and to others. But first, let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Can I invite you in your own heart to say, Come, Holy Spirit. Open yourself. Come, Holy Spirit. Come to our homes. Come to our ears. And come to our hearts. Lord, would you take my weakness and pour out your power through your word this morning. In Jesus' name and for his kingdom. Amen. Well... In spite of the fact there was a war going on, in 1941, my parents had their first child. In fact, between 1941 and 1949, they had four children, two boys, two girls. Perfect. And then, for reasons best known only to themselves, they had me. And uh, that meant we were a family of seven living in two upstairs rooms with a tap and a toilet out in the backyard. We were poor. My evening meal for years during my school days was a jam sandwich. Orange squash was something that happened at Christmas. My mother had no particular interest in mothering, in the conventional sense, nor housekeeping. It wasn't until I got to secondary school that I discovered that other children had some things I didn't have, like a toothbrush, like underwear. My mother's idea of laundry was when I took a bath every week, every week on a Sunday, she would take the shirt and socks that I'd been wearing all week and pop them. That was her word. I'll just pop those in the bath with you, darling, and give them a bit of a rub with the soap, would you? But, but, I have never had a moment of regret or resentment toward my parents. Because they gave me something of infinitely greater and lasting value. Put simply, they gave me words. My father had pet names for all his children. My sisters, Catalina Flying Boat, Sandy Bumpertinas. His pet name for me was, wait for it, Congo Willie. But he had another name. Calm down, calm down. But he had another name for me, which lasted all through my life. I remember in my 30s, I worked with him in, in the little firm that he ran. Um, and he would always refer to me always as my Brian. Go and, oh, go and see my Brian about that, he would say. And when I think of my mother, I'm reminded of the Living Bible translation of 1 Corinthians 13. If you love someone, you will always believe in him, no matter what the cost. You will always be loyal to him, always expect the best of him, and always stand the, your ground in defending him. My mother's words were invariably words of affirmation, words of approval, words of support, words of belief. Put simply, they gave me words of life. We were poor, but I was rich. I was rich because of the words my parents used towards me. These words shaped me. For the soft, 
early clay of my slowly forming character, these words were the moulding tools. And uh, they gave me an endowment of self-worth, self-esteem, perseverance, self-belief, optimism. They affected how I saw myself and my circumstances and what I expected of myself. And they also explained for me some other words that I received, like when I was 14 and my school report came home, the comment at the bottom from my Irish form master, Paddy Fluitt, this boy suffers from a superabundance of self-confidence, which prevents him from having a clear view of the world. Proverbs 18.21 tells us, words have the power of life and death. The words we speak to our children can build up or break down. They can bless or curse. Children need correction, sure. Proverbs 22 tells us, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. But in correcting a child, it's important we condemn the behaviour and not the child. Words like, you idiot, you fool, will you never learn, you won't amount to much, are words of death. When the Bible talks about death, Often, it's not talking about physical death, but the slow poisoning of the soul. We talk about a person's spirit being crushed. The human spirit, it's like a young plant. If it's watered and fed with good things, affirmation, encouragement, wise counsel, it will flourish. If it's sprayed with vitriol and toxic words, it will wither. To our partners, words we use are like moulding tools of a sculpture. The words we use determine whether he feels respected, valued, strong, capable, confident. Whether she feels secure, valued, cherished, beautiful. Proverbs 10.11 tells us, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. When you speak affirming words, encouraging words, wise words, you give life. Satan is always ready to use our words to cause division, to, call, to diminish, to destroy others. Bragging, exaggeration, complaining, criticising, all serve his purpose. It only takes a few words to wound someone. We all know the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we all know there is no truth in it. The words we speak to others can bring misery or joy. And it's the same with the words we speak to ourselves. It's the same, the words we speak to ourselves can be words of life or words of death. Words that build up or words that break down and diminish and destroy. If we're agreeing with the lying voices in our heads that say, you're no good, you're stuck, you can't do it, you're a failure, you're ugly, nobody wants you, nobody values you, you're worthless. Well, if we're agreeing with those voices, we're speaking words that destroy and diminish our own inner spirit. The circumstances of this last year have left a deep effect 
well, they've made a deep effect on millions of people's lives and well-being. It's been a long, cold year, mostly stuck indoors, with few, if any, opportunities to see family and friends and have some of that banter with colleagues at work. It's no, no wonder that mental health of so many has taken a battering. And the enemy of our souls has not been resting. Of course, he seized the chance to attack. And for many, self-esteem, self-worth, our sense of hope, optimism, identity and well-being, it's taken a right clobbering. And what do we have? Where can we go? Where can we look for words of life to reset the truth, the truth about who we are and what we are and where our hope comes from and what our true worth is? Where can we go to reset the words we speak to ourselves and to others? The answer, my answer, the starting point every time is Psalm 139. This psalm is filled with truth, words of truth about God, truth about who we are, truth about what God says about us, and what's in his heart towards us. Let's read it. The first six verses tell us that God is inescapably all-knowing. His knowledge is infinite. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to obtain. He knows everything about you. What you're saying or doing on the outside, what you're thinking or feeling on the inside. He knows your innermost thoughts, motivations, emotions. He knows what you're feeling. He even knows what you're going to say before you say it. His knowledge is infinite. It's beyond our understanding. Except to say, why? Why? Why does God go to that much trouble? Why does God have that level of interest in little old me and little old you? And the answer is because he loves you. The answer is his love. He loves you. He treasures you. It's obvious. He, he, he wouldn't be saying all those things otherwise. Isaiah 49, 15 asks, Can a mother forget the child at her breast? Yes, God says, she might forget, but I will not forget you. I have your face inscribed on the palms of my hand. Verses 7 to 12 tell us about his presence. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. 
If I rise on the wings of the morning, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. If verses 1 to 6 tell us God knows everything about you, 7 to 12 tell us about his presence. He's everywhere. Everywhere you go, everywhere you are, he's there with you. There's nowhere where he's not with you. And he's not just there as a casual observer. However far I go, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. However far you may choose to wander from God, you can't outmaneuver him. He won't be shaken off. Why? Because he loves you. You're his treasure. In verses 13 to 16, we see the power of God. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully? Well, you know, often in the Bible when it talks about fear, it's really awe. You are awesomely and wonderfully made. In medieval times, a craftsman would work for months on a special piece that displayed his finest artistic skill. Finally, when the work was finished, he would present it to the craftsman's guild in the hope of achieving the rank of master. The work was called his masterpiece. Here we see God the master craftsman lovingly at work on his masterpiece. The power, the design behind every fibre of your being is his. Every muscle, every sinew, every cell, and not only your physical body. Verse 13, you created my inmost being, your psyche, your soul, your spirit, your true self. Your unique gifts, loves, aspirations and hopes. It's his creation, his loved, cherished creation. You are awesomely and wonderfully made. Next two verses reveal to us what's on God's mind. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. 
What's on God's mind? You are. The sum of God's thoughts towards you is vast. Can you grasp how precious that is? This psalm is full of truth. It's full of doctrine about God, about you, about me. We learn so much about God that he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, that he's everywhere, he's omnipresent, and he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent. And yet, this God, what fills his thoughts? You do. His masterpiece. Don't believe me? Think I'm lying? Exaggerating? <laughs> Mistaken? Well, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what God has revealed in his word. He says all scripture, all scripture, even Psalm 139, with these extraordinary statements, is inspired and given to us by God. If you want to argue about it, it's not me you're taking on. This is important. This stuff is important. Why is it important that God should know us so completely, so intimately? Have you ever thought, have you ever thought like me, if someone knew me completely, if they knew my every thought, my every desire, my every deed, they'd be horrified. They'd reject me. Perhaps that's why the psalmist says, it's too much for me. But if somebody who hardly knows you tells you, I love you, it doesn't work, does it? The only way to be truly loved is to be truly known, all the way down to the bottom. Really, we want to be known because we want to be loved. He knows you all the way down to the bottom, and yet he loves you all the way down to the bottom. If your mental health, your sense of well-being, self-worth, has been affected by COVID or anything else. It's time to reset. Not because restrictions are lifting, but because these things that I'm telling you this morning, these words are true and they are life-giving and health-giving. It's time to reset. It's time to speak words of truth over yourself and others. Make no mistake. Words have power. The words you speak to yourself, the words you speak over yourself, are powerful. They can be life-giving and they can be life-stealing, damaging and destructive. What you say, the words that come out of your mouth, what you send out is life or death. Believe me, your words have power. Jesus speaking in Mark 11 at 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Let me read that from the King James, authorised version. 
Whoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he says. What are you saying? What are you saying about that child? What are you saying about that teen? What are you saying about that marriage, that leader, that business, that church? Are you saying words of life or words of death? What are you saying to the mountains that you face? We serve a mountain moving God. He can move the mountains of guilt, of fear. He can move the mountain of anxiety, of condemnation, of discouragement. He can move the mountain of self-loathing. But first, you have to open your mouth and give, God's, and give God words. He's a word God. He works with words. In Joel 3, we read, let the weak say, I am strong. I'm not worthless or weak. I am God's masterpiece. Say it. Say it. I am not weak. I am strong. I'm not a failure. I'm not going down. In him, I am strong. And that starts to form a new future in you and a new you in the future. Say it. By his strength, I am strong. My marriage is strong. My children are strong. My faith is strong. My home is strong. It doesn't matter what I'm feeling, what my emotions are telling me. I believe this report. I believe what his word is telling me. I believe his truth, what he says about me, not the enemy's lies. I'm not a failure. I'm not of little worth. Do you remember the woman with the issue of blood? Matthew 9, 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. She's only speaking to herself. The words you speak to yourself matter. When did her healing start? It started when she put it into words. There were plenty of other sick people around, but she was the one who put it into words. She was the one who said it. Her words, even spoken quietly to herself, had power. David and Goliath. There was the army of God's people being humiliated by this giant, defying and defiling them and their gods with his, them and their God with his words. For 40 days, 
the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand, trash-talking them. The devil's not stupid. The first thing they hear in the morning, when they wake up, and the last thing before they go to sleep, will be the curses and belittling of my guy Goliath, my mountain of a man. Their first thought is going to be negative, and their last thought will be negative. We'll make them toss and turn all night long. <laughs> and in walks this boy, David. Now, David was a worshipper. He kept the Lord before him. And because he worshipped, he kept a heart full of words. Words of truth. Words of life, not lies. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Ha! It's no accident that he calls him that. Circumcision, of course, is a mark of the covenant. By the covenant, God is saying, I will fight your battles. I'm your protector. I'm your provider. We've got a contract. By pointing to the covenant, David is saying, I have way more power behind me than that ugly, uncircumcised Philistine. I've had more power behind me since I was eight days old. Because all of heaven's angels, all of heaven's armies stand behind the covenants of God. And then David says it. I have killed both the lion and the bear. And the Lord, who delivered me from the lion and the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He says, I'm not going down. I'm on the victory side. I'm on the Lord's side. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And what he says becomes his future. What he says changed his future. And what you say can change your future. Whoever says to this mountain, get out of here, get out of my head, get out of my face, get out of my space. Whoever believes that those things which he saith shall come to pass and does not doubt, he shall have whatsoever he saith. By what you say to yourself, to others, to God. You can give life. You can move mountains. You can move the mountain of sickness. You can move the mountain of depression, of failure, of financial disaster. You and his strength can move the mountain of addiction. By your words. Do you ever find yourself asking, why does God bless him and her and not me? Well, what's coming out of your mouth? Your words. What are you saying? God says in Malachi 2, 17, I am weary of your words. Is God weary of hearing your words? 
If your words are complaining words, fault-finding words, gossipy words, doubting words, poor me words, is God weary of your words? I can't recall when, but years ago, and it stayed with me, I read, if you hear a word of praise, if you hear a word of praise, pass it on. But if you hear a word of negative criticism, let it stop with you. Let it end its journey with you. What is coming out of your mouth? What is the tone of your speech? What tune are you speaking to? You know how different accents have different tunes. I won't demonstrate. But what tune are you speaking to? Is it a funeral dirge or a victory march? What are you saying? What is Jesus saying? What comes out of his mouth? His words are words of life. Words of forgiveness, healing, wholeness, restoration. His words are words of life real life, life in abundance. So when it got tough for Jesus, when there was major opposition, many fell away from following him. Hundreds of people who had walked with him for months disappeared. He turned to the 12 and he asked them, what about you? Do you want to go as well? And Peter replied, John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words. You have the words of eternal life. Fresh, active, powerful, life in full vigour. Be in no doubt, you are his masterpiece. His eyes are continually on you. He's continually present with you. You are in his constant thoughts. But there's more. There's more. Even more than that. You are his treasure, his beloved. Don't believe me? Well, when you were lost, because of disobedience and sin, when Father God was losing you because of the just consequences of your sin and you were losing him, he took, what did he take? He took the most precious thing. He took his only begotten son and he took your sin and my sin and he put it all on him. Jesus became sin for you and for me. And he poured out his life. He made our peace, our rescue, by the outpouring of his own life blood. His blood shed cleanses us from all sin and renders us ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Have you ever thought to ask 
Why? Why did he do that for me? Could it be that because as far as he is concerned, you're worth it? I finish this morning with, with thanks to Graham Kendrick for these words. Is a rich man worth more than a poor man? Is a stranger worth less than a friend? Is a baby worth more than an old man? Your beginning worth more than your end? Is a president worth more than his assassin? Does your value decrease with your crime? Like when Jesus took the place of Barabbas, would you say he was wasting his time? How much do you think you're worth, friend? Will anyone stand up and say? Would you say that a man is worth nothing till someone is willing to pay? I suppose that you think that you matter. How much do you matter to whom? It's much easier at night when with friends and bright lights than much later alone in your room. Do you think they'll miss one in a billion when you finish this old human race? Do you think you'll make much of a difference when your friends have forgotten your face? How much do you think you're worth, friend? Will anyone stand up and say? Would you say that a man is worth nothing till someone is willing to pay? If you heard that your life had been valued and a price had been paid on the nail, would you ask, what was traded? How much and who paid it? Who was he and what was his name? If you heard that his name was called Jesus, would you say that the price was too dear, held to the cross, not by nails, but by love? It was you broke his heart, not the spear. Would you say you were worth what it cost him? You say, no, well, the price stays the same. If it doesn't make you cry, laugh it off, pass him by. But just remember the day when you throw it away, that he paid what he thought you were worth. Let's pray. Father, we have, we have nothing that you didn't give us. And we are nothing that you didn't make us. And so with humble hearts, we thank you for your incredible love your amazing grace. Thank you for Jesus, who though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Thank you that you have made us your treasure, and thank you that you have proven it by the outpouring of your life for us. Thank you that the blood of Jesus indeed cleanses us from all sin. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.